This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Well, Mike Miller is off this week, and so I am Brian Kelly, and I will be taking the calls, but answering them will be our favorite, June Hudson. She is here. She worked at the Missouri Botanical Garden for a long time. She's been retired for two years, but still keeping very busy with the gardening, and she uh, is an expert, and she'll be taking your calls. June, how are you this morning? I'm just very good. Thank you. How are you? I am doing great. That's so good uh, to hear. How is your garden growing this year? Pretty good, actually. We had all that rain, and mm-hmm. things are, you know, lush and beautiful. They really haven't had enough drought to to affect them, so it's been a good year. Yeah, yeah. It, overall, it's been a good gardening year. It really has. Yeah. I know our garden looks beautiful, and we sit and look at it all the time. Go, man, that looks nice. Did we do that? Yeah, we did that. Four three six seven nine hundred one eight hundred nine two five. The numbers to call. And uh, June, tell us about yourself a little bit. Now, you worked at the garden for a long time, and your specialty was home gardening, basically. Yes, it was. Um, I started 40 years ago, or 42 years ago now, um, and I worked pretty much all over the garden, but I ended up as the supervisor for the Kemper Home Demonstration Gardens for 20 years. So I saw it from its beginning to, to when I left. So tell us about the the Kemper Home Gardening, a center for home gardening. Sure. It's eight acres, actually, within the garden proper of 79 acres, and it features 23 different gardens. And the idea behind it was to show home gardening, something, gardens that were doable for those of us that have that passion. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly changing, and um, that's gardens are like that. So um, it was... um, a lot of fun, and hopefully we reached a lot of people as they went through the garden and gave them ideas to do at home. So were these mainly flower gardens, mainly vegetable gardens, or everything, a mix of both? Everything. everything. We had a garden pretty much uh, schemed to everything you can think of. And the vegetable garden, you know, is huge and mm-hmm. very productive. So that was, you know, got to be one of the favorite gardens with the interest in edibles. Yeah. So it continues to be. I bet. But there's native gardens, there's bird garden, fragrance garden, goes on and on. So you can go from one to the other and see how that works. Oh, that's really neat. Mm-hmm. I know, it's you know, we have like uh, <clears throat> butterfly bushes and things like that as part of our garden. And yeah. It's so nice to sit there and watch the butterflies come around, the hummingbirds and, uh, and the bumblebees and everything. Now, the sweat bees are getting a little obnoxious. May we talk that about time that. of year. Yeah. yeah. But, but this year they have, I don't remember them being as numerous as I've seen them this year. Is there something to that? Is there a reason? Um, it's cyclical. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of insects, you know, they reach a, a plateau certain, certain years and then mm-hmm. it goes back. It just depends on the whole world, really, and, and how they're getting their food. And if they're able to get a, a lot of places, that's where they're going to be. Yeah. 
because they are buzzing around everywhere. Those and, of course, the mosquitoes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they, they are amazing. I was out in my garden yesterday and I wasn't paying any attention until I looked around me and I must have had two million of them circling me. <laughs> yeah, they kind of like me, too. I'll go and try to try to get one. And I'll end up with two or three on my oh hand. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. So some of the things we can talk about, if you have any questions about gardening of any type, give us a call. June Hudson, again, is the expert on call. And She's available at 436-7900-1800-925-1120. As you're listening to the Garden Hotline on KMOX, we'll take your call in just a moment. It's 809. And again, this is Brian Kelly sitting in for Mike this week. Actually sitting in is June Hudson, who worked at the Missouri Botanical Garden for 40 years. He's been retired for two now. And she was the supervisor of the Kemper Center for Home Gardening. So she has all the answers to your questions, including... Those from Brian in St. Charles. Brian, you're our leadoff hitter this morning on the Garden Hotline. Welcome to KMOX. Uh, yes, uh, the name is Frank. I, I'm assuming. Oh, okay. You okay. know what? My name okay. is Brian, and I get and when I leave messages or talk to people, they'll say, "Okay, Frank, hold on a second. So, oh, I, I well, think to me, it's pretty <laughs> common. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, ready for my question? Yes, sir. Uh, listen, I put in some per, uh, perennial hibiscus. And, uh, gee, they were really doing good. Uh, the blooms on them are about the size of, uh, uh, let's say, a golf ball. But uh, here in the last week, these blooms, instead of opening, they're just turning black. And I, I bought some fungicide, and I sprayed it. But uh, I wonder, uh, you know, there's so many things weather-related with the rain and all. But hibiscus tend to, you know, like a damp climate, uh, and I don't know why these, I've had hibiscus before the annuals, this is my first attempt at the perennials, but uh, when, they, when they do flower, they're gorgeous, but like I say, these, uh, these blooms, about the size of a golf ball, before they can open up, they're just turning black, so that's my question, what's going on? <laughs> Um, you may have some botrytis that is affecting the buds and they're not able to progress to an opening size. I'm a bit confused though. These are the usually when you say perennial hibiscus, are you referring to the ones that get big, really big flowers? Yes, yes, I am. So, you're the, the golf ball size that you're referring to, that's as far as they get, as far as the bud is concerned. Well, actually, I do have a, a few blooms on the same ones that. This is uh, happening to the rest of the uh, of the buds. I I do get a few flowers here and there. Okay, it's just that it's so loaded with these blooms uh, or buds, if you will, and uh, a great portion of them are just turning black. They they aren't going into maturity at all. Sure. Um, have you have you uh, used a fungicide on it? Did you say that? I just did that yesterday. But okay. Uh, it was one of these, I'm not really big on these pre-mixed things. This was like a three-way insect, uh, disease, miticide and a, and a, a fungicide. And, uh, it, you know, it covers various, you know. Sure. Uh, well, things. you know, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult to, to tell you over the, uh, radio exactly which one to use. But what you need is one that is just the fungicide. So go yeah. to, go wherever and uh, look at that section and get the ones that say just for the fungicide and you'll get the right mix 
not mix, but you'll get the right one for the problem, and see if that helps. Um, the weather yeah. has well, been... With that, with that having been said, uh, you know, certain fungicides will control certain diseases, and unless I can, you know, be really specific sure. about... Look for botrytis. Name of, yeah. Uh, what, is, what is it's it? It's botrytis, B-O-T-Y-R-T-I-S, I think. But it's okay. botrytis. It's a common uh, fungicidal problem in our area with high humidity. So mm-hmm. even though the, the hibiscus, as you said, really like moist soil, and they do, uh, you can get this uh, from the, the warm, humid nights that will attack the buds. So you, I, got, I got you. Yeah, so on the label of the fungicide, look for the word botrytis that it's covered the, on there. Botrytis, okay. Botrytis well, with a been, B. Okay, yes, yes, with a B. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Okay, uh, good luck. Okay, and thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, Frank, and thanks to June for the answer there. Paul in Collinsville is next up on the Garden Hotline. You're on with June Hudson. Good morning. Good morning. I have two questions about my gladiolas. I uh, planted them uh, three years ago along my the edge of my driveway. The first year they bloomed, uh, they bloomed uh, in, in, in order of color. Uh, all the whites bloomed, all the reds then, you know, and and uh, I thought, well, maybe that's because uh, they're they're new. Uh, but every year after, uh, it's the same way. They don't bloom at the same time. Is that just the nature of the beast? And then my second question is, I'm going to expand my driveway, and I need to move those bulbs, and can I do it now? Okay. Um, actually, probably the difference in the bloom time is related to the variety, the varietal fo- form that you have, and the color indicates you have, you know, different varieties, and they have a different, a slightly different bloom time, dependent on what that is. So it's not really about the color; it's just the ones that you've chosen have a specific bloom time that doesn't coordinate with the one that's, you know, next in the color. So that's just a just the what how you bought them. Okay, yeah, they were a variety. Uh-huh. Yeah, so so that's that's nice. It sounds beautiful. And about moving your bulbs, um because they are established, which by the way, the gladiolas sometimes can be tricky in our area because they don't always come through the winter, so you're doing really good. I would wait till spring. Mark where they are. Are, are, can you leave them until spring as you uh, develop your driveway? No, I, you have I to need dig to them move up. them okay. within, uh, within three weeks. Oh, okay. Well, it's not the best time, but it's really all you've got. So, you know, be be thorough about getting the bulbs out of the soil without slicing them in half. Go, you know, beyond their section where they are and uh, gingerly dig them up so you don't nick them. And, uh, you know, just put them in their new home and hope for the best, because that's really the only time frame that you have to do it. All right. Well, thank you much. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Paul. And have a great day in the shadow of the ketchup bottle in Collinsville. Let's go to Amy now. She's in the shadow of the St. Louis County Courthouse in Clayton. Amy, how are you today? I am great. I'm happy to uh, hear that June's uh, on your on your show this morning. So thank you for taking my call. Hello. 
Hello. Yes, Hello. It, it's our pleasure, okay. and uh, I'm glad okay. to have June alongside, too, because I don't know anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I, which is why I'm calling in. Good deal. <laughs> so I, I love fresh herbs, and I have a little herb garden outside of my kitchen window. But in the wintertime, I know people say chop them up, put them in ice cubes in the freezer. Is there Which ones can survive on my kitchen window in the wintertime, and which ones um, should I not even try um, to bring inside? Oh, you know, that's a very good question because it's hard to grow herbs inside in our climate because in the wintertime, it always says when you bring in herbs to grow, put them in your sunniest window. Well, they obviously don't live in St. Louis where we have many gray days in the winter. So it's really better if you can arrange to grow them under a grow light, whether it's in your kitchen window or or you can put them somewhere else. But your best shot are things like um, parsley, oregano, thyme. They really can stand more of an indoor location than a lot of the other herbs. So I'd stick okay. with those kind of those kinds of things. Low growing herbs. Okay, thank you. And is there a particular? I looked up glow lights on the internet and um, they were growing very different things than what I was looking for. Um, um, I'm sure you can guess. Uh, so uh, is there a particular glow light that works well on the tiny herbs? Ac- actually, it's, it's called a grow, G-R-O, grow light. But the best okay. ones now that I'm happy to report from experience are the new LED ones. They're really lightweight. They have the full ray of the sun spectrum. And um, if you put them about, if you put the herbs about, oh, maybe 18 inches below the light, the, they'll really thrive, and it's probably the best, most likely way to have success in growing these herbs inside. Thank you very much. I'm You're more welcome. It. All right, thank you for the call, Amy, and good luck with your growing the herbs. And let's go to Danny now. He is in Donaldson, Illinois. He is called either 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And, Danny, we are at your service. Yeah, I appreciate it. We have a uh, pecan tree that was uh, struck by lightning uh, a week or so ago, and it peeled off uh, some bark, oh, from about knee level up to about 20 feet. Just the bark, no wood splintered or anything. Um, I'm wondering, one, will the tree survive it? Because it is loaded with pecans, and uh, Mm. should I buy anything to put on the area where the bark came off? Okay, um, I'm really sorry about that. You sounded like you were doing really good with that pecan tree. Oh, it's loaded. Oh my goodness, that's just that's just wonderful. Well, you know what? It's you. You have to wait and see. You don't can't really see the damage just looking at the tree since it was lightning. But it depends on how much of the the tree's uh, circumference was damaged. Can you can you make a percentage guess on that? It doesn't appear anything other okay. than the uh, the bark. It just looks like you you just peeled the bark down and off of it. Like I said, there's no splinters that's flown mm-hmm. in it everywhere. So, how much um, of the how much of the tree would you say you know across is the bark peeling? Oh, probably ten inches. Okay. Yeah. And and what what do you think the whole circumference is? So what I'm getting to is you're trying oh, to determine. You know, oh yeah, the diameter of the tree is yeah. probably eighteen inches. Okay, well, that's a significant amount of damage. 
So you can't really say for sure, but you don't. You can't put anything on it. Just leave okay. it heal on its own and hope for the best. You'll know. Uh, it, I, it'll die slowly, you know, because it is still getting, uh, you know, the nutrients up on the part of the tree that isn't damaged. So okay. you have to just hope for the best that it will recover. But I think next year, um, when it leaves out, if it leaves out thoroughly, then it probably is going to be okay. But then okay. if the leaf, if the leaves are, you know, smaller, are not as many, are not to the top of the tree, you might have an arborist take a look at it and make sure that, you know, it is going to survive. All right. Well, we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed oh, and hope for yes. the best this coming spring. That's that's so good. Thank you. All right. Have a nice day. You yeah, too. Thank you, Danny. Have a great day. And, you know, I had a couple trees that split, a Bradford pear right in the front yard, and it split, and I thought it was going to not make it, and it's grown back beautifully. And a maple that did the same thing, and I don't know if it was hit by lightning or not, but it split several years ago, and since then it's just taken off again. So I guess they, they can be they can pretty heal. strong. Yes, yeah. they can heal. You know, you see... Uh, the wood start to heal over on the sides of the wound. Mm -hmm. And that's when you know that there's a possibility that that healing is occurring in in the interior of the tree. Well, good luck. I hope this tree uh, comes back strong. Let's go. 436-7900-1800-925-1120 are the numbers to call to get on with June Hudson on the Garden Hotline. Angela has done that. She's in Crestwood. Good morning, Angela. Welcome to KMOX. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, We have a cedar in the backyard and we moved in two years ago and it just, it's poor, it's doing very poorly. And so my husband just recently trimmed it and almost half the limbs had to be cut down. So what can I do to revive it? Well, if it's, if it's that, if it's doing that poorly, I have a feeling that maybe it may not survive, but without really seeing it, I, I don't want to say that. But at any rate, um, what you can do, there is evergreen fertilizer, and with fall coming up, go to your wherever you shop for a garden supplies and look for the evergreen fertilizer. And, of course, follow the directions according to what it says. Never give more uh, you know, if you have the flu, you don't want to eat a turkey dinner. So you have to be careful and not give it too much food or just follow the directions and see for uh, if that helps it. If it doesn't revive from the, the fertilizer, um, have any conditions changed on the site that it was growing? No. It, when we when we moved in, it, it looked bad. Oh. My, my husband seems to think it's getting too much water it's kind of downhill in the back and um but i i don't know is it how big is it it's probably gosh about eight feet tall now okay well it survived wherever it is for eight years so i'm not quite sure unless you've changed the way the water flows if as long as it's not standing water they don't like standing water the cedars so as long as the water just keeps going you know, we can stand it. You know, a moist soil. Okay. But I think well, I that gives that gives me hope that if I just give it a little TLC and feed it, it might be okay. Right. If it doesn't respond to that, I'd think about replacing it. Okay. 
Thank you so much. Sure, thank you. All right, Angela, thank you for the call. It's going to be a beautiful day. We're heading for a high of 79. It's going to be less humid, just patchy clouds. A great day to get out and do some gardening. If you have any questions before you head out into the yard, we have your answers right here with June Hudson at 436-7900-1800-925-1120 on the Garden Hotline, which continues next on KMOX. Hear those little guys? Ah, hummingbirds. They are going crazy right about now. I guess they are beginning to head home. Yep, they're storing up fat. You've got the ones that are here being joined by the ones that are heading south and the little ones that are getting big enough. And that was out of my front yard probably last year because I tape it every year. I videotape them because they're so fun to watch. But uh, you have a good garden, boy. They will come and hang out. Yeah. Wonderful. And they're worth it. They're so much fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Awesome. You're listening to the Garden Hotline, and the number is 436-7900-1800-925-1120. We're going to Dave, who's in Hazelwood this morning. And, Dave, you're on with June Hudson. Uh, good morning. Hi. Uh, my, my question is uh, on, in my yard. Uh, the other day I noticed I came out here, and there was spots in the yard, and it's they're like a, a, a dark gray and you kick them in, it's like dust. And then next few days, it's it's got a little bit more of them. But uh, I wonder if that's just some kind of fungus or... It definitely is. Yes, it's called gray okay. mold, and um, it will spread. And unfortunately, you know, if you cut your grass, then you're spreading that around as you cut it. So you right. need to, you need to go to um, wherever and buy a fungicide for grass and get a broad spectrum. So you you know you might have a couple things going on. You want to hit them, hit whatever it is. So uh, and apply it as directed, and it should take care of it. The other thing that will help now is the humidity is lower because all this is related to climate conditions. And when you have humid nights in St. Louis, so many things start popping up. So uh, now that the humidity is low and it looks like we're going into a bit of a stretch where it will be nice, then um, it should recede on its own. But the way you're describing it when you're kicking it, that's the, that's the uh, spores that are uh, being distributed. So um, don't walk on that more than you have to until you apply the fungicide. Okay. Is the fungicide just like you just spray it on? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And uh, is there any uh, particular brand that you might suggest or several that you might suggest? Well, you know, Ortho is a whole line of pesticides, and they're reliable. But there are other ones, you know, because if you go to the the bigger stores, there's a whole aisle of uh, pesticides. So you've got a lot to choose from. But look at the ones that say that they're, they're either specific or grass for grass, or they've got a broad spectrum that covers grass. So you guys spend a little time looking at the labels. Okay. And you said this is called gray mold? Yes. Okay. All righty. Okay, I'll, good I'll, luck. I'll, good I'll luck with that. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Dave from Hazelwood. Have a great day. Let's head south now to DeSoto, and Angie is on our garden hotline on KMOX. Angie? Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, I got... Good morning. I got a question regarding hydrangeas that I have. One is a variegated hydrangea, and I planted that about five years ago. And it's very healthy, 
it bloomed the first year, but I haven't had a bloom since. And I do fertilize regularly just with hydrangea fertilizer. And the second one I've had, it's pretty big. Um, I've had it about seven years, and it's bloomed every year, and this year it had one bloom, and that's it. I don't know what I'm doing wrong and if I should fertilize differently. Um, any thoughts on that? Sure. First of all, um, the variegated hydrangea, you picked one of the hardest ones to grow in St. Louis. It really Uh-oh. isn't fond about uh, us. It's really more likable in more southern climates where you get the blooms because the weather is not so extreme. So if you've got one bloom on that, I'm, I'm, I think that's okay. Don't expect too much from the, the variegated hydrangea. It's nothing that you're doing. It's the climate that it has to put up with here in St. Louis. Okay. The second thing, though, uh, the other one, um, you know, the thing about hydrangeas is that you have to go further into the ID to tell you exactly what to do. But the fact that you got some, uh, you know, a bloom period on it, um, I would say that what you're, what you don't want to do right now is is prune them because right. uh, the hydrangeas have mostly set the buds for next year. So leave it alone and. Uh, it's. It could be the exposure that it's getting to the northwest winds where it's planted, or if that isn't the case, it's, you know, it, with hydrangeas, it's not how cold it gets, it's when it gets that cold. Because if we have a warm spell in winter and those buds start swelling and, they, you know, they start thinking it's going to be spring, but it's not really spring yet, those buds will develop. And then we go back to winter, which always happens, and then those buds freeze. So you have to hope for the best with the climate. So it's nothing you're doing, but without seeing it, I can't tell you which one you have, but just don't prune right. it. So that eliminates one problem, you know, that you may cause. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Um, thanks hi. for the call from DeSoto. We now go to Chesterfield where Grant is on the line on the Garden Hotline on KMOX. Good morning, Grant. Good morning. I have a um, star magnolia. It's about 10, 12 feet tall. Mm -hmm. It's been wonderful through the years, but in mowing the lawn the other day, I noticed there's a lot of white little spots, some kind of fungus, I guess, growing all on the trunk and up under the the lower branches that you can see easily. They're about the size of a a quarter, I would say, and they're kind of uh, powdery. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Wow. Uh, not, not so much. Mag- Star magnolias are pretty tough in St. Louis. They don't bloom all the time because they bloom too early, but that's not the problem we're talking about. When you, when you scrape on them, what happens? Is there any, is there, is there any uh, spores that are coming off of it, or what is that like if you try to scrape that off? I haven't noticed that. I was under there, and I, I, some of them rubbed off on my shirt, and they, <laughs> I came in, and I had all these white spots on the back of my shirt, but they just washed out okay, and there was no problem with that. But I didn't, I'll have to go back and see, sc- scrape some off, I guess, to see if there's... Yeah, it could be, it could be a couple things. It could, you could have a fungal problem, but it, that's so odd on a star magnolia. But it also could be an insect. It could be where they've laid their eggs on the bark. That sounds like a a possibility. Again, without seeing it, it's hard to diagnose it. But I would say that perhaps you ought to apply 
some uh, horticultural oil. This will take care of a, a multitude of problems, and it won't hurt the tree, even if you're not hitting the direct cause of it. Um, it won't hurt the tree. And it's called horticultural oil, and it's a kind of oil that is meant to be for horticultural or, or plants. And um, spray it not in the hottest sun, but that should take care of a fungal problem like it we're describing. And it also, if it's insects that have laid their eggs on there, it'll take care of, hopefully it'll take care of that too. Okay. Try that. Try that. Well, what's the name of that again? Is there a brand name for that? Well, there's one. It's called Sun Spray, and that will lead you to the right place in the aisle that you'll be shopping in. But mm-hmm. um, it's a light horticultural oil and follow the directions. You can get it pre-mixed, so you don't even have to put it in a sprayer. You get it in the spray bottle and just spray it on there. Okay. Try that and see if that eliminates them. How about the azaleas in the front of the porch? Uh, It's on the north side of our house, and they've never done very well, but their leaves are turning red, and they're full of holes, and they're just, um, I don't know if they've got an insect infestation or what. Uh, some some azaleas do turn uh, colors in the fall. Has this is this the first time that this has happened? Well, they've had a lighter um, appearance of it in years past, but it's really heavy this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be an insect. Look on the back of the the leaves. There is a a, a bug that is very specific to um, azaleas, and it, it goes to other insect uh, plants too. But they really love the azaleas. It's a lace bug. And they, they are visible to the eye. It's a very small little, little bug. But I think I saw one on the ground underneath. Okay, well, look on the back of their leaves because right now, if it is the lace bug, they will be infested with the, the eggs. They lay their eggs on the backside of the leaves, and it'll have, it'll have black spots. I'm thinking that's what you've got. And now- again... Again, this, the cure for that, not a cure, but a help. I shouldn't say a cure. The help for that is the same horticultural oil that you'll have the problem, uh, you know, in the uh, star magnolia. So oh. you're going to be able to use that product as well. But when you do spray with this horticultural oil, you might, what you do is you spray the underside of the leaves first. Because, that's going to be a little tricky, isn't it? With well, spray. yeah, yeah it, that's, in this case, for the azaleas, you're going to need a small sprayer. They're not that expensive, a two-gallon plastic sprayer. And uh, get the oil in its concentrated form and then mix it with the water because that way you can adjust the nozzle to spray underneath the azalea. Okay. So you yeah. do the underneath the azalea because... As you spray the underside, the lace bugs will crawl up on the top. And once they do that, then you spray the top because they're oh. going to try to escape the oil. So okay. then you'll get more of them that way than spraying the top first. And, but the, the, the proof is in the pudding. If you look at those leaves, I, I'll bet you'll find the eggs of those lace bugs. And especially since I saw a lace bug underneath on the soil. Yes, Okay, well, they're tiny you. though. They're, if you saw that, you've got really good eyesight. 
Thank you. Bye-bye. Good luck. All right. Thanks for the call from Chesterfield. A two-for-one in that one. Yeah. We have uh, Florence on deck, and we'll go to her right after we take a short break. At 845, it is 66 degrees on a beautiful Saturday morning in St. Louis. That could be our forecast. It is going to be a bright, sunshiny day, a high of 79, 66 right now, downtown at the Gateway Arch. Don't know what the temperature is in Troy, but Florence is there, and she is on now with June Hudson on the Garden Hotline. Good morning, Florence. Good morning. Hello. Hello. So what is your question or comment from Troy, Missouri? Well, um, I have several shooting star plants in a small flower bed, and they were just beautiful this year. But the bloom stalks are about four foot tall, and with this heavy rains, they're falling over on all the other plants. And my question is, can I cut those bloom stalks back? Yes, of course you can. Yeah, it's, they're doing more damage than good, so at this point in their life, you're absolutely, you can cut those back. Cut them about, about how far back? Well, you can cut them back down to where they come out of the leaves. Oh, good. Yeah, and that'll solve your problem. Okay, thank you for you're, taking the call. You're welcome. Thank you for calling, Florence. Let's go to Tricia in St. Louis. You're next up on the Garden Hotline. Good morning, Tricia. Hello, Tricia. Yes, this is Patricia. Yeah, could you turn your radio down, please? And then uh, June Hudson will take your question or comment. Oh, okay. Can hear us in the background. I'm glad she's listening. It's always good. <laughs> yeah, what he said, Tricia. I said, oh, is he talking to Patricia? Yeah, I'm talking to you, and you are okay. on the radio. Thank you very much for okay. calling. All right. Yes, I have a question. I had a call before, but I want to know. I have uh, had a beautiful zoysia front lawn, and uh, the Bermuda grass has taken over. But I still have a patch of zoysia here and there, just a small patch, but the the majority of it is Bermuda now. Is there any way I can keep that Bermuda from from, uh, spreading anymore and maybe my zoysia a takeover? Ooh, that's a tough question. Bermuda grass is just so invasive, and it looks like it's winning the battle. You know, you're saying you have touches of zoysia. You know, the the answer to your question is very extreme. You need to kill. Mm -hmm. You need to kill it off, or um, have a dug up. But that's a big job. I don't know how big your garden is, but um, it looks like you know you're you're battling a, a really hard hard situation. Because mm-hmm. the zoysia is is gonna you cannot compete with the Bermuda, so mm-hmm. I would say you know unless you want to hire a company or I don't know if you have help or whatever to uh, resod to uh, kill off the Bermuda and then resod or reseed the garden or the the lawn with zoysia, um, it may have a better chance. But that's an extreme answer. I don't have a a, a short term answer for that. It's right, really right. quite invasive. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about doing, either residing, but that zoysia seed, is it just as good as sod? Well, it takes a lot longer to uh, develop. 
you know, mm-hmm. in the it, it it really does. I mean, if you can go with the sod, that's your best bet because right. it's there. Right. You know, it comes healthy, and it's up to you to keep it healthy. But you start off with a complete lawn, so that's mm-hmm. really the way to go if you can do that. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about doing because I hate this Bermuda grass for the passion. It's awful. Okay. All righty. Okay. I really appreciate your information. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you for the call. Have a great day. Coming up on 854, and we have the news at the top of the hour, of course, and hour two of the Garden Hotline. Let's go now to O'Fallon, Illinois, where Steve is calling in from. Good morning, Steve. Well, morning, June. How how are you today? Uh, I'm just fine. Uh, uh, my question is: I have planted planted some asparagus root this year in a plant planter box, and it's doing wonderful. I mean, the the plants are all about two to three foot tall, about an eighth inch to a I'd say three sixteenths of an inch thick. I was just wondering what I do with it this winter and how I harvest it, say next year maybe. Okay, sounds like you're doing really good. What you want to do this year is um, they will grow. Those shoots will grow. Uh, it looks like a big fern. Um, doesn't does it not? Right. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, leave it till it turns brown. That's your signal that you can then cut it back. But don't cut it and back. How until, far I cut it back? Uh, most just up till you can see the oh two or three inches. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, one other question. One other question. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, it's uh, all right. I have some uh, have some small caterpillars on it. Should I leave them alone or get them off of it? Well, usually the caterpillars are probably some sort of butterfly or moth. So, right, that's you know, it's part of the cycle. Depends on how you feel mm-hmm. about that. But uh, if, they're, not, they're not really hurting it. So Okay, uh, well, if they're not I'll hurting leave it, leave it alone. Because usually the, the, the plant will regenerate itself anyway from insects. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's not, I mean, from the caterpillar. So I would leave that alone if you can. But then cut the asparagus back. Um, after it turns brown, and then wait for the new shoots to come up next year. See what you get. If you get enough yeah. to, uh, to eat, cut them off and eat them. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. I have a couple new ones that just come up. They're about a quarter inch thick, almost mm-hmm. bad enough to eat. Uh, would those be okay to cut, say, once they get big enough? Oh, sure. Just leave it alone? Sure. Okay. Try it. Try it. Yes, you may. Okay, I appreciate I appreciate the inf- information, June, and you have a nice Nice weekend. Okay, you too. All right, Steve, thanks for the call from O'Fallon, Illinois. It's now 8.56 on this Saturday morning again. We are going to hit 79 today in June. It's pretty nice in August to have such nice weather. Oh, thank goodness. And we got a lot of rain the other day. Oh, my gosh, five inches in some places. We needed it at our place because it seemed like it was missing us all the time. Exactly. (laughs) It would just go right around. So it was kind of nice to have uh, that little bit of rain that we did get the other day, although in some places, of course, it was too much. Yeah, well, you know, it's better than not at all because you're right. Everything's so used to rain. Now, Mm -hmm. when it's dry, they're, you know, saying, where is the natural rain? Right. Yeah. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Well, Mike Miller is off this week, so I'm Brian Kelly. But the expert you're going to talk to is June Hudson. Again, June spent 40 years at the Missouri Botanical Garden. Many of those as the supervisor of the Kemper Center 
for home gardening. And as you've heard in the first hour, she has all the answers. So give us a call at 436-7900-1800-925-1120. We have a couple of folks who've been holding on for quite a while, June. So let's get right to them. Okay. We start with Pat in South St. Louis County. Hi, Pat, and good morning. Good morning, June and Brian. I have a question regarding a red buckeye tree. We purchased it in May from a garden center. Um, that's when we were having all the rain. Our backyard sits lower than the subdivision, so it was squishy when you walked out there. So we chose a spot that wasn't holding as much water. We planted it, and the leaves have been turning brown on the tips. I just went out there and felt them. They're supple feeling, the ones that are green. The outline of the leaf is yellow, turning yellow. And I take a trowel and I dig down at least three, four inches, and the ground is wet around it. We had it planted by the nursery. Um, I took a picture into the nursery, and they said it's probably because of all the water that we've had over the summer. And they said it should survive. I wanted your opinion. Okay, well, it it very well could be the water condition. They certainly don't like to be in standing water, so that's not a very good sign. However, there is another situation. The red buckeyes, like many of the buckeyes in St. Louis, suffer from a leaf problem in humid weather. And it's probably a fungus. We're talking a lot about fungus, but... We've had a lot of humid weather just recently, but it's something that uh, is inherent to the way the leaves, they usually fall off early or, or they're disfigured early on, not uh, associated with the true fall season, but ahead of that. And what you're describing is that. So I think that y- y- there's nothing you can do about it. It's just the natural way that this tree grows in Missouri mm-hmm. and so it might be that that's the problem. But if it's standing water, uh, is there any way that you can um, alleviate that problem by directing? Water has, has to have a way. But can you alleviate that problem by directing the water away from that tree? Well, we have a wall, a retaining wall with the filter cloth and the pipe to drain it. Oh. So it's. You know, we have that system. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's better than, than it sounded. So I would say that um, you'll, you're going to have to wait because now the leaves are going to fall off. That's the next stage. And just clean them up as they fall off and don't let them lay uh, on the ground very long. Oh. So because of the fungal problem. And then wait till next spring and see how that tree comes out. I bet it comes out and it'll be just fine for the growing season. But... They, those the buckeyes are susceptible to this leaf leaf blight. Really. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't next year, would you suggest choosing a different tree? Well, if it the thing is, you know, the red buckeye is a native tree, and That's it does attract hummingbirds, and um, so it depends on how you feel about it. But I have a large one, and it's a red buckeye, and I spend the time now picking up a lot of leaves that are falling off, and it will be completely denuded before fall really comes. But I, it's, it's, that's just the way it, it works. So if you're lucky, it doesn't get it, but um, it's likely that with the red buckeye you're going to have this problem. So it's up to you. If that's really bothersome to you to have this situation, then I would say, yes, get another tree. 
Okay, otherwise live with the you got to live with it, yes. Right. And it, it, it's just part of the makeup of the tree. You're absolutely correct. Okay, yeah, I saw it at Shaw Nature Center, and that's when I fell in love with it. So Yeah, it's a beautiful tree. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It. Good luck. And I'm sure the Purdue fans out there will want me to mention that Buckeyes are also susceptible to Boilermakers. <laughs> yes. Let's go to Richard. He's in South St. Louis this morning. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. I uh, have been getting educated by Mike, but at the same time, I seem to be more confused. I've got a question about uh, the big box in uh, March and April when I put down my weed and feed, uh, per se, to uh, pre-emergent. You know, they say to, uh, to pre-emergent in the spring and right. now to put it down. But I, I don't understand what's the difference. I've got a lot of spurge and oxialis in my yard. Could you explain the difference or help me out a little bit? Sure, sure. The idea w- with a weed and feed is this. You have to know the cycle of the weeds that you have and when they are dormant because that the when you apply the weed and feed, it forms a barrier across the area where you apply it. And so it actually only applies to plants whose seeds are going to come up. The uh, weeds with their seeds are going to come up. And that will prevent the seeds from germinating because you've applied this material. But if you have perennial weeds that come up because they don't even, you know, they're dormant, but they don't need a seed to return, they have their structure, that weed and feed is not going to control those. So that's a different weed, weed uh, product altogether. That's when you need an, a herbicide to hit the, the plants while they're growing, and that will kill those, like the spurge, like you're talking about. But it's a completely different situation with the seed, the seeds of weeds. That's what the weed and feed controls. Is that does that have any help to you? Uh, somewhat. Uh, the spurge comes out now. I didn't have it all all year. Well, right. Uh, if you want, what I'm doing is just taking uh, and spot uh, spraying. That's you know, what you got to do. You're doing the right thing. It has nothing to do with the weed and feed. That's not working anyway. That's all dispersed through the ground and leached out by now. So that's not that's that is a spring application, and you you can do it in the fall. But really, it's only going to control the weeds who set seed and come back in the that form. And that's what the weed and feed is for. But the things okay, like spurge. Ask, let, sure. Excuse me. Sure. Uh, let me answer this. Is it better? Is it better for me to? I, I'm. I don't know whether to go ahead with the, uh, the September uh, weed and feed for like a winter, or to go with a pre-emergent. Uh, I like like Mike says, like bonite or something. Right. Uh, well, if you want to kill the weeds in your garden now, you're going to have to go with uh, something that is uh, that actively attacks the plant now and kills it. So uh, read on the, the label, if it has spurge or one of the weeds that you have on that label, then go ahead and buy that product. There's many out there. The bone-eyed okay. one has one uh, that's, that's true. But for, for just in the spring, you know, you're killing weeds, you're killing the seeds of weeds. It doesn't really, it just smothers them. They don't let them germinate. 
And he talks about uh, warm weather uh, weeds and cool weather weeds. Right. There are, the, so, yeah, yes. So, so you should put it down now uh, in, in early September to pre-emergent, or should I go with the big box, the weed feed? Go with the go with the product that kills the plants right now. So if that's a weed and feed product, then go with that. But but just read on the label and see it'll tell you what weeds that that product controls. So look look for the one that says it controls spurge and do that now. Okay, that's well, the answer. Okay, thank you very sure, much. Sure, good luck. All right, Richard, thanks for the call from the south side. Coming up, we are going to head to St. Peter's. That'll be in just a couple of moments as we're taking a break here on the Garden Hotline. Again, the numbers to call, 436-7900-1800-925-1120. We're at your service at 915. And Mike is off this week, so I'm Brian Kelly sitting in with June Hudson, who worked in the Missouri Botanical Garden for 40 years. She's been retired for a couple, but still very active, still doing a lot of gardening work, and as you can tell, she uh, is a gardening expert. She's taking your calls at 436-7900-1800-925-1120. You may not be a traffic expert, but you can become a member of our KMOX traffic team as a KMOX Wazer. What's that? Well, go to KMOX.com slash traffic and learn all about it. We're going to go right now to Lori in St. Peter's. And Lori, you are on with June Hudson. Good morning, guys. Hi. Um, how you doing? Good. I I have not experienced this problem before in my life, but um, this late spring I put down some uh, great quality compost that um, got recommended to me, and I have been experiencing experiencing voles with a V, which I have never in all my years of gardening <laughs> have ever had, and never had in this garden patch of mine. And I was wondering, number one, does compost attractables and I have been putting down these green pellets in the holes and I'm still seeing the tunnels and I don't know what to do if I should get traps. I sell these little box traps you can get to try to get them because I don't want them to mess up my garden totally. <laughs> I certainly understand. I can relate to this because I have voles too. And it's uh it's not it's not as easy as a lot of other things to control because um, they where they live, they have those tunnels that are at, at the surface, but where they live is much deeper in a community uh, place. So you're not getting them where they live. And um, so the traps work, but if you've got a large infestation, you're going to have to set that trap and hopefully catch, you know, one at a time. That's a lot to catch. So... The problem is, of course, the voles, uh, they eat your plant roots, so then the plant has no roots to it, and it just falls over. Yep, and, I uh, noticed that. <laughs> yes, and so um, you can put the pellets down and hope for the best that you get most of the population. They do work. Um, if you have a neighborhood cat, that helps because the cats will catch them. And But really, the, the uh, extermination process... If you have really bad infestation, the extermination process is really the only way to go. And I need to do that myself, and I don't want to do that. But, you know, when they ruin your garden, you start thinking otherwise. And the only hope, the natural um, uh, 
course of events is that their population will hit a plateau and then they'll drop off considerably. And it's probably something that wipes out most of them, you know, like a disease that attacks them or something. So there is hope that you won't always have that big of a concentration, but that's not an answer for you now. So oh, you yeah, might... I was thinking of getting those smoke bombs that they have at 4th of July and throwing some down, <laughs> like smoke them out or something. I don't know if that would work, yeah. or those well, snap and pop you know, or anything. <laughs> you know, what you need to do is call an extermination comp- company and talk to them about that. And they may have a remedy, you know, like that, that they'll perform for you, but they can leave you in the, lead you in the right direction. But, yes, yeah, smoking them with a smoke bomb will work, but it's getting to the course of the problem. Yeah. So, so these green pellet things that I'm getting, mm-hmm. does that actually kill them? Or yes. is that just, it does, no. okay. It kills them. Okay, because I'll continue throwing those down the hole. So. That's what you can do. At least you know where the holes are. Sometimes you don't hit, you know, see the holes, and that, that group doesn't get touched. So good luck in scouting those out. Great. Thank you guys so much for the program, and Thank have a great you. weekend. All sure, right, you Lori, too. Thank you very much. You have a great, great weekend. Let's go to Larry in St. Louis. And, Larry, you are now on the Garden Hotline on KMOX. Uh, thanks for the call, taking the call. I've got a problem. I've got a Calamar apple tree urban apple tree and it's done really well this year produced a lot of apples and i've noticed just recently about the six inches on the bottom of the of the tree itself out of the ground the bark is discolored um, brittly um, about maybe a quarter of one side and then another one on the other side that looks like it's pulling away whichever no um, many fruit trees are susceptible to cankers in our area, and that sounds like what you have. What it means is that there's a spot on the tree that either came with an injury that is just showing itself now, or in some way it was injured. And if you can gently remove the bark, if it's not loose, I mean very loose and easy, just leave it alone because you don't want to expose more of the inner part of the tree because that is an injury, and if it works its way around the tree, you, it could be uh, a girdling thing because it's not getting enough nutrients that go up into the healthy tissue of the tree. But um, if you can just pull that away a little bit, it, if it's going to heal, it will put out callus material and kind of it will smooth around the injury. So you look for that to, to start to form. And uh, by all means, keep any mulch away from the, the bottom of that tree because if you mulch the tree too high, mice will set in and they eat on that, sm- that, that uh, uh, vulnerable material. So um, yeah. just keep it clean under there. That's about all you can okay. do. Well, that's what I was going to ask because it, it was just freshly mulched again too. So oh, Get it away um, from the, ba- the base of that so, tree altogether. Well, and I guess I have two other ones. Next to it, so on all three of them, I should I should remove that mulch around the tree. Then absolutely, right again. Don't have it touch the the base of that tree in any way. Should I cover it or no? It or no, it leave it open it? because the natural process is for the tree to put out this callus material, and anything you would cover it with would prevent that from happening. So that's an old fashioned thought that people should uh, uh, spray their wound, but. You leave it open, and nature should help uh, heal it. 
Awesome. And there's no worry that the tree's going to die or it'll kill the tree? Well, yeah, there is a worry because you said there was a problem on both sides of it, so you don't want to get both sides worse and encompass the whole circumference of the tree where it doesn't take up any uh, nutrients. So keep them clean, keep them, you know, away from the mulch, and uh, hope that nature will heal those wounds. Great. Thank you for the advice. Sure. All right, Larry, have a great day. Let's go to South St. Louis County, and Joanne is now on KMOX. Joanne, we're at your service. Oh, great. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have developed crabgrass between my street and sidewalk, and a lot of it. I want to know, how do you get rid of that? Well, there are crabgrass killers that will kill the crabgrass, um, the crabgrass uh, re- is an annual weed, and it replenishes itself, like we were talking on another phone call, uh, by seed. So when the forsythias are in bloom is when you apply the crabgrass killer. So next spring, that's what you can do. If you want to kill it now, you can either spray it with an herbicide or dig out the plants. Those plants won't come back, but their babies will in, in the form of seed. But right now, you know, you've got a, a, a this year's crop. So it depends on how much is bothering you, if you can live with it till next spring. If not, you're going to have to get an herbicide or dig them out. Okay. I can live with it until next spring. Don't okay. they die off in the wintertime? Yes, um, those will die. And then the seeds from them will germinate next spring. So you can spray it at the right time so the seeds don't have a chance to come up. And when would that be? That would be when the forsythias bloom. Oh, you said when the forsythias yeah, bloom. Yeah, it's okay. a good natural way to know when it's the right time. Okay. I mean, I, I've just uh, never had them like this before, so I don't know why. Yeah, no, they like all that rain. That's why oh, they're all there. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're not in my yard, but they're no. between the street and the sidewalk. Yeah, I have the same problem. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So you're going to wait until the forsythia is blooming. And I spring. am going to do just that, yes. Okay, because I can't get out there and dig them. No, that's a lot to dig. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's too many of them, too. Sure. Too many clumps, you know. And then you have okay. bare ground. That's not good yeah. either. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this advice. Okay. Well, thank you, Joanne. We have Mark and Ann, and you could be next at 436-7900-1800-925-1120. It's 928 on this Saturday morning. 66 degrees at last check, and it's going to be beautiful. 79 later on. A great day to get out and play in the yard. The Garden Hotline continues on KMOX in just a couple of moments. I'm Brian Kelly, sitting in for my kind of today. I'm the uh, the intermediary. I'll take the calls, and then June Hudson from the Missouri Botanical Garden. Of course, she was there for 40 years, been retired too now, and she is taking your calls and answering your questions. Now, if you want to see probably the best-looking lawn in St. Louis, it's at Bush Stadium, September 5th. Join us there. It's the KMOX Day at the ballpark. The San Francisco Giants are in town, and if you purchase a special theme ticket, our gift this year is really cool. It's a double bobblehead featuring John Rooney, and Mike Shannon. And I am looking forward to meeting you, seeing you there on September 5th. So come on down, get your tickets now at KMOX.com. It's September 5th. The Giants are in town. All right, let's go to our producer, Cole Duggar's hometown of Bethalto, Illinois. He's here because they won't let him back. But anyway, Mark is there. And Mark, you are now on the Garden Hotline. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Good. Um, so 
over the course of the spring and the summer, um, we had a pool put in and my yard kind of got destroyed and it's been tough to grow grass. Um, and I think now is probably about a good time of year to maybe start planting seed. Um, my question is <clears throat> since then in that bare dirt, a bunch of weeds have filled in, you can't really spray for weeds when you're planting grass. It, do you just leave those go and plant, plant the grass in the weeds or? Well, uh, there are certain products you can use that will only kill what they touch. So if you okay. use that and kill the weeds, that's that'll be okay. Um, okay. You want to you want to wait though a little while before you spread the seed out. But no, fall's the best time to start a new go- lawn. So you're right in line for that. Right, like but here in uh, the next if you, weeks or... yeah. Are there too many weeds to pull by hand? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's okay. it's just a huge area. Sure, sure. Well, then I mean, you got to get rid of them. We considered sod, and it's just it's a it's a it's too big of an area to sure. do sod. It'd just be too expensive. Sure. Um, so, would you kill the weeds first, and then wait a couple weeks, and then try yeah. to plant the grass? Yes, I would. I okay. would. Okay. Is there any like product you'd recommend to, to use that wouldn't? I, you know, well, the seeds from germinating. Uh, the seeds. Don't worry about the seeds right now because probably most of your weeds that you're looking at, um, they're probably uh, perennial uh, plants, and so it's it's not going to work by doing that. But I think probably there's many products out there. But get a, an herbicide that's you know for for weeds that's specific to the weeds, and that should take okay. care of your problem. And then I shouldn't have any problem getting grass to sprout if I if I put that on the weeds. Then no, because okay. it, just get one that that does not uh, transfer into the soil. There's you okay. know there's a lot of there's a lot of them out there, but glyphosate, like spray which almost. yeah, is is the best one to use. What is that called? Glyphosate. Glyphosate. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh huh. All, All right. right thank you, Mark. Let's go from Bethalto to Arnold, and Ann is on with June Hudson. Hello, Ann. Good morning. Can you offer suggestions for controlling yellow nut sedge over larger areas? I have it throughout my lawn, and spot spraying seems to kill the grass also. Okay, well, nut sedge is a sedge, and so it's in a different family completely from the lawn grass that you have. So what is good for one or bad for one isn't necessarily going to work for the other. So you need a product that's called, that is specifically for sedges. So um, there's one that's called Sledgehammer. I mean, it's a silly name, but that's what they named it. But anyone that says it's for sledge only is the one you want to get to spray for your problem. Okay. Yeah, just a general one is not going to work. Okay, and that'll be safe for my grass. Yes, it will. Okay. All right, very good. Thank you. Sure. Thank you very much for the call, Ann. From Arnold, real quick, I want to throw something out here because I need a lawn ornament in the shape of the Stanley Cup. Wouldn't you think somebody would make a lawn ornament? That My looks gosh, like a, why don't you make one yourself? you probably I'm make a zillion dollars. <laughs> if, if somebody knows where I could get one, I'd love to know because I would love to have a Stanley Cup lawn ornament. they got to be out there somewhere. Wouldn't you think so? An opportunity missed oh, for sure. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, you know, you have to get it licensed and everything, you know, if you're going to do sure. it. But uh, it's still, yes, gosh, I want one. So if anybody can make me one. <laughs> Please. Let's go to Chester. Steve is listening in beautiful Chester, Illinois this morning. Hello, Steve. Hello. Hi. Right, how are you today? Good. Uh, I have a Japanese maple tree, and uh, they told me that uh, the yellow belly sapsucker got into it in the spring of the year, 
what the Missouri Botanical Garden told me. And some of the limbs are don't have no leaves on it at all till it gets out to the very tip. And I was just wondering if that tree will grow back or uh, next spring, or will it be dead, eventually die? Well, I I have a uh, you that's been attacked by a yellow-bellied sapsucker. In fact, I saw I saw the bird this year for the first time. However, it depends on how many. Uh, how many limbs of the tree that are affected by the activity? If it's completely girdled and the holes are are concentric around the tree, it doesn't look good. And what you're describing about the leaves being on the the ends, that's not a good sign either. However, um, you know, it just depends on the strength of the tree, how healthy it is. By spring, it it may surprise you. Again, waiting is the best thing you can do. I said that before, but you don't want to jump on the jump on it and take it out if it has a chance to live. It may never, though, oh. uh, be as vigorous as it once was because of this problem. Okay. Well, I didn't know, and, and I thought, well, I'd try to keep it if I can. Yes. I guess do. we'll wait till next spring and see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, Steve, thanks for calling from Chester. Let's go from the far south side of the listening area to the north side in Florissant. Jane, you are now on KMOX. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. I have this problem. It's not really a problem. I'm just curious what it is. About seven years ago, I planted, I believe it was a pink lady rose bush, and it always got these beautiful pink flowers on it. Well, two years ago, I got one bud, it flowered, the flower fell off, and no more buds. So I let it go, and last year, I got nothing but green leaves. Now, I thought, well, I talked to someone, and they said, you might as well take it out, the bush is done. So I thought I'd let it go to this year, and when I went out there early spring, there was nothing on it but green leaves. So I waited, and last week I went out there, there's no buds, but there's these little like orange berries, they look like small tomatoes, and they're all over the bush. And I was curious as to what they are. Well, it sounds like to me that the, the, the rose bush that you purchased was actually grafted. You know, the, the, the thing is with the way they used to breed roses is that they take a, a, a sort of a wild rose because of its strength and vigor and that's called the rootstock. And then they take right. a more delicate rose that you really wanted, and they'd graft it on to the wood of the, the wilder rose. And th- from what you're describing, your graft has been compromised. And what you're looking at is the growth from the wild rose. Oh. And the roses may have been tiny. It sounds like you're looking at the, the, uh, the uh, hips of the wild rose. So... It's not hurting. <laughs> yeah, it's not hurting anything. But if the, your graft truly and it didn't bloom two years in a row, I suspect the graft is is not functioning. So all you're okay. ever going to have is those green leaves. I, well, I was just curious because I didn't know if the little berries were poisonous or anything, because I have smaller children and and animals. So sure. I don't. Th- I, I. I don't want to say something isn't poisonous because I. You know that would be a terrible thing to tell you without looking at it, and then yeah. something would happen. But if those green leaves are all you're going to get, you might as well take it out. 
Okay. Well, I thank you very much for sure. your help. You have sure. a nice day. Yes, you too. You too, Jane. It's 69 in Edwardsville right now, 71 in St. Charles, 69 at the Gateway Arch, heading for a beautiful high of 79 today. We are heading to Pocahontas and High Ridge next on the Garden Hotline. It's 943. And Mike is off this week. I'm Brian Kelly, along with June Hudson. And, you know, KMOX listeners are absolutely the best, June. I mean, we all know that, right? So I put out a plea for a Stanley Cup lawn ornament, and Linda in Oakville has come to my rescue. Hi, Linda. Hi. <laughs> okay, so I partially come to your rescue. Oh, okay. I'm in, a, I'm in a garden club, and we made these garden ornaments using, like, glass plates, and this glue is called E6000. It will glue anything together. Mine's been out in the yard and rain and everything else, not in the wintertime, but, you know, in all types of weather for a couple of years now. So here's my suggestion. You go online. I just went and Googled, you know, Stanley Cup, St. Louis Blue Stanley Cup replicas, and I came up with one under Collectible Supplies. That's the name of the company. It's a little pricey. I mean, it's like $64, but you may be able to find some other ones. But it's such a simple process. You glue the, the ornament onto a salt shaker. You, get the, you can get them at the dollar store. It's a glass salt shaker that will fit over a post. So you would put this E6000 on the ornament, glue it to the salt shaker, and it sits for it needs to sit for 24 hours so it's solidly glued and put it on a post. It's that simple. All right. Well, I will give that a I shot. Don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if there would actually be any. I actually didn't look up lawn ornaments. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody's come up with that, you know, yet online. But right. you could probably find something less expensive. Okay. Well, I appreciate but, that. I will give it a shot. That's yeah, a possibility. All right. All right. You know, Good luck. I waited 52 years, so I don't think $63 is too much. But <laughs> <laughs> it'd probably look really cool. Then you can start making them and selling them in your neighborhood. You betcha. <laughs> or online. No, I could okay, retire, I think. Thanks, Linda. I appreciate that. Let's go now to Pocahontas, Illinois. Pete is on the line. And Pete, uh, you are on with June Hudson on the Garden Hotline. Hi. Um, Yes, I have some uh, lilac bushes that uh, need to be trimmed and shaped. When is the best time to trim those? Is it the fall? No, it's not the fall. It's it's way too late because on uh, the ends of all those branches have on have the flower buds for next year. So you don't want to do it now. The time to prune lilac trees is immediately after they bloom. So you, now you got to yeah. wait. So I, well, I've got blooms on there right now. So. Yeah, well, uh, they bloom in the spring and then they bloom now. So okay, well, don't prune the them. Time. Yeah, don't prune them. Wait till they bloom in the spring before you cut them because they all those buds now. Some of those are going to wait until next spring. So okay. just leave it alone, and after it blooms next year, then you can prune it back. Prune them and shape them up. Too. Yeah, right. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right, Pete, thank you very much for joining us this morning. 436-7900-1800-925, the numbers to call. It's 949, and we are going to High Ridge and Terry. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. How are you? Doing great. June, I was listening to your um, previous conversation about the nut sedge, and every spring my lawn is absolutely beautiful. I have a, a fescue lawn. And then it, by, you know, it's time it gets hot, I have all that silly nut sedge growing. So then I use a product 
It's just nut sedge killer by ortho. Um, that is not supposed to kill my grass, but every time I use it, it does. And so now I have large brown patches, and I'm wondering what I'm doing wrong. Well, I don't know what that product was, but um, when you get you the... You can buy it at Home Depot. You can buy wow. it everywhere. Wow, wow. Well, don't do that again. Yeah, but get the one... That, uh, I quoted, there's one that uh, is called Sledgehammer that... I've heard of the Sledgehammer, but isn't that the one where you have to mix it all and you've got to add the Dawn and you got to... I think this comes pre-mixed. I don't think you have to do anything. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, look, look. there's so many products out there, but I don't know why they killed your grass, because it was for uh, nutsedge. It should have just killed the nutsedge. But what you're telling me is it didn't, so try a different product. Right, and I guess, you know, fool me once, because I've yes. done it a couple of years in a row, and it's happened <laughs> Okay, times. well, don't do that again. That's not okay. working. I don't know what that was. Wait, have but... you used the sledgehammer? Yes, at the garden we did. I don't. I don't have too much of it at home. I don't bother with it. But aren't you lucky? Yeah, yeah. I guess I am. But you know, that loves moist soil. So wherever your soil stays moist, you're going right. to have nut grass. Yeah, it's just an inherent problem with the Plus we just moist. Had a wet summer, so it was exactly. Yes, right. righty. Well, thank you very much. Good luck. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you very much, Terry. We head to Frontenac, where Tom is calling in from this morning. Hello, Tom. Hey, June. Hey. How you doing? Oh, hi, Tom. How you doing? <laughs> hey, June. I have a bunch of Snow Queen hydrangeas on the right side of my driveway that I planted two years ago. And I noticed one of them uh, about a week ago just started to, the leaves started to droop, and I looked closer at it, and I found that two of the branches in the rear, two of the, they, had, they were actually dead. So I think it had fungus, and I caught it too late. Yeah. So my question, my question is, do I have? I want to. I got to remove it and plant something new there. So, do I have to do something to the soil before I put a new plant in the hole? Um, possibly. But what I would do is try to take some of the soil out where that plant was, and replace mm-hmm. it with new soil. Now, it's not to say that if it was a, a soil-borne disease that it won't uh, that you're going to get it all. But that you have a the better chance is to remove some of the soil. And then you're going to have to get a new bush okay. altogether. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's just attacked one bush by itself in the middle of them. So do I have to worry about the other ones? Uh, maybe. I don't know without looking at them. But it, you can't, if they're healthy now, you got to hope for the best. There's no yeah, preventive so. thing. What you're asking me is there's, there's no preventive mm-hmm. thing that you can do to prevent you know, it from spreading other than the removal yeah. of the soil. So you don't want to do that if the other ones are healthy. So just take yeah, that yeah, one yeah. out and remove some of the soil as much as you can and then plant a new one. Mm-hmm. It's very right. odd to have that attack, uh, I mean, that to happen to a oak leaf hydrangea. Well, it, it, is it really? Well, I thought mm-hmm. maybe it was voles, but I, I thought maybe it was voles, but I couldn't find any holes around them. No, they don't really, they the... don't really work on woodies like that. It's okay. more herbaceous material. Well, I don't know what else it could be besides the fungus. Yeah, well, well, anyway, okay. take it out. Get rid of it. All right. We'll do. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, <laughs> thanks, June. Okay. Have a good uh, Enjoy your program. Okay, thanks. Thank you very much, Tom. Let's go to Collinsville, where Bud is this morning. And, Bud, you are now on with June Hudson. Good morning, June. I uh, love Hi. the program. Listen to it all the time. Uh, all of a sudden, I've got a lot of moss appearing on my ground. Uh, how can I get rid of that? Um, 
Well, it's probably because of all the rain, and it's probably in the shade. Is that correct? Uh, it's shade in the morning and then full sun in the afternoon. Okay. Well, there are there are moss killers. Well, we're talking a lot about spraying things today. Um, there are moss and algae killer. There's I forget the brand. I have a, a spray bottle of it at home, but now I can't think of the brand. But there are many different ones. It doesn't make any difference. There's many good products. What I would do, though, is try it on a small section of the moss and see what happens to it because there's many different mosses and most likely, you know, in general, if you get the product, it will kill all of them. But I, what I do is buy the product. It's not that expensive. Moss and algae killer. And then spray it on a section and see if it does the job for you. Okay. Now, there was an area that I dug it all up. I scraped it all up. Will oh, that come back? Maybe. It's got a million jillion spores, so if <laughs> okay. the environmental uh, conditions are right for it, yes, it, it probably will come back. Why would that all of a sudden appear? I had grass in this area, and even the spring I had grass there, and then now all of a sudden it's all moss. That's because of all the rain. All the rain. Once it gets started, you know, it just went wild because it had the right environment to do so. Okay, and then I guess because... This area doesn't drain real well. That right. adds to the problem, right? It certainly does. Okay, Jane, thank you very much. Okay. I can't believe I got on so quick. All right. All right, thank you very much, bud. Let's go to Joe in St. Charles. Joe, you have one minute. Good morning, Jane. Now, my question has to do with uh, trimming hollies and uh, boxwoods. Is this a good time for that, or should I hold off? Well, if you want the berries, you're going to cut the berries off of the holly. Otherwise, it's not a bad time. So, okay. you know, that's that's up to you. But, um, and what was the other thing? Boxwoods. Oh, the boxwoods. Uh, yes, you can, you do a light pruning now because you don't want to open it up too much because winter's coming. You don't want to initiate new growth now like pruning does. So, right. actually, the, I'd kind of wait on the boxwood now. It's getting kind of late. And wait till the springtime? After? Yes, after it flushes out. I got it. Okay. Suggestion, uh, your caller earlier was questioning about what to do to voles to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. I found that pouring uh, ammonia down in the holes as a deterrent. Wow. I'll try it myself. Thank you. All right. Thank you very thank much, you. Joe. A question and an answer. June, we have about 20 seconds. I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank We've you. learned a lot over the last two hours. Good. I know our callers really appreciate it. Always good to see you. You too. Thank you very much. June Thank Hudson you for having me. doing a great job filling in for Mike Miller. Have a great day. It's 9.57. The news is next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.